So Tyler's going to be preaching our last sermon on the Fruit of the Spirit series. Uh, we're starting Exodus in two weeks, so Tyler has the opportunity to land the plane, and hopefully next week Cole isn't sick, and he's going to preach for us on an open topic. But in two weeks we start Exodus, and bro, I'm, I'm excited, self-control, it's the pinnacle. Father in heaven, it is a joy to gather with your people. Lord, I was reminded this week that this is week 10 that we've been able to meet together after 10 weeks of not being able to meet together. We thank you for the privilege of being able to gather as a people. Lord, we know that there is an invisible enemy that does not want us to gather, and that is not the virus, or that is not the government, but Lord, that is Satan. And Lord, we ask just that you would continue to keep him at bay. Lord, that we would make much of you during this season, and that we would see that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but that we wrestle with the principalities, with the uh, dominions, and those in the present darkness. God, we just ask that you would keep us safe. And Lord, as we uh, open up your word here now, God, I pray just that Tyler would decrease that you would increase, that you would wash us with your word, that we would see great and glorious truths about what it means to be self-controlled. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen. So, before we get started, I want to ask the kids one question here. As Daniel mentioned, we are closing out the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, so, kids, is there anyone here who could tell me what all nine fruit of the Spirit are? Yeah. 
sentiment, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Among the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, thank you for how you provided the Spirit for us, who is uh, providing us the capabilities and the power to be able to develop truth. I pray that this message is honoring to you, and that we may be able to continue to strive to be producing truth as your Spirit is us to be lost in step with the Spirit. In the same thing we pray. Amen. start talking a little bit about self-control, because that's the thing we're talking about today, self-control, and a little bit about how is it perceived in our culture today. There's one side of our culture who perceives self-control as this evil thing. It's bad. Self-control is bad. To deny yourself your passion is evil. It's wrong. It's denying who you are and who you should be. It's characterized, I think, this is one of the old songs I'm a country boy, grew up in southeast Colorado. And one of the songs I've listened to there was the Tim McGraw song, I Like It, I Love It. Right? I want some more of it, is how the song goes. The idea being that you like something, you love something, you naturally want more of that thing. And there's a lot of people, things, institutions in our culture that tell us, if you deny that, that's wrong. And if you're another person who looks at something harmful in someone's life, and you tell them, hey, I don't think you should be doing that thing, you are also wrong. You are also evil. You are denying that person their pleasure, and not only that, you could even be denying that person their That person who their identity is. That's one side of the culture. On the other side of our culture, we have some very strict people. We have people who pride themselves on their own self-righteousness, on all the rules, on all the ways they've been able to master their body, how they've been able to set these rules. Like what Paul talks about in the Colossians, the people who say, do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. Um, and Paul says, these things have the appearance of godliness, but they have no power to save. But some folks look at these rules and these strict guidelines that they set for themselves as their means of receiving salvation. Both of those standards are too extreme. Both of those standards are not what self-control is talking about. When we get to self-control in Scripture, a closer idea of it, is with someone, Joshua Willen, he's someone who, he's an ethnic Navy SEAL, and he talks about the idea of discipline. And he talks about discipline or self-control. He says it in this way, that it is discipline, it is self-control that actually produces freedom. But without self-control, you cannot be free. And you think of it in terms of a marathon runner. Every person is not free to run a marathon. You may want to have the desire to run a marathon, but you cannot run a marathon unless you put in the time, the effort, and the months and months of training to train your body to be able to run a marathon. Only after you put in that work are you now free to run a marathon. Similar thing to someone who strives to be a doctor. You aren't free to just go and open up a clinic and start trying to practice medicine. It is only the people who go to medical school who learn and spend their several years studying the human body, how it operates, how it proceeds, and only then can they start becoming and are free to be a doctor. I believe that the idea that Joshua kind of presents as freedom, or self-control being the like, avenue to freedom, is more correct than what anything the world has to offer. However, it's still missing one biblical idea. It's still lacking one component. And that's, what is the purpose of our freedom? 
We are not meant to enjoy freedom for freedom's sake. I know that's kind of a controversial idea here in America, but we've been set free for a purpose. We've been set free to be able to submit ourselves to God in any self-control that is not leading to any having the freedom to pursue godliness, to pursue righteousness, is not true self-control. Anytime you use self-control as a means to hurt someone else or a means to hurt yourself, it doesn't matter that you have this, this control over your own body. It is not biblical self-control. So that leads to what we're going to be talking about today, how self-control is the fruit of the Spirit that leads to the freedom of submitting to God and enjoying His blessing. It is by self-control that we are truly free to now submit to God and enjoy His blessing. We're going to talk about this in three different, through three different questions. The first question being, what is self-control? So let's start with defining that more fully. What does it mean to have self-control, to experience self-control? The third question being, how do we see self-control as exercised by Christ? So as we look to Christ for our example, what does He demonstrate self-control as? And then our third question, how do we practice self-control for ourselves? So starting off with the first question, what is self-control? One of the Stoics, Greek philosopher Aristotle, he posited that self-control was power over oneself. That's kind of what that is, the ability to master yourself, to restrain yourself, to control oneself. So the Oxford Dictionary defines self-control as the ability to control oneself, in particular one's emotions, desires, or the expressions of them in one's behavior, especially in difficult situations. Once again, this idea of controlling, being able to show mastery that ability just dictates to yourself what you will do, how you will act, how you will think, how you will feel. Having control over all aspects of your life is what they talk about in self-control. However, self-control in Scripture is a little bit different. There's something lacking there. It's not simply enough for you to have the power or control over yourself if you use that power, if you use that control to destroy yourself or to destroy others. The biblical idea behind self-control goes to something more, goes to something greater. And that's mainly evidence in this passage like what we have in Galatians. Self-control always appears alongside of the Spirit. We see self-control now being thought as a, a fruit of the Spirit, something that is produced by the Spirit. We are told to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, all in Galatians 5 as it's talking about self-control. Or in 2 Timothy, it talks about you receive the spirit of power, love, and self-control. So self-control is never something that is evidence outside or away from, a part of, the spirit. Also in Scripture, we see self-control involves denying the passions of the flesh. We see that in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to the passions of the flesh. We see that in 1 John, where it tells us, don't keep going after your lust of your eyes. Don't keep going after the pleasures of this world, but deny those. Don't be conformed to that any longer. And we also see self-control as this battle. It's a battle between your flesh, it's a battle between your sinful nature, and then it's a battle of the spirit. So it's these two sides that are waging war within our soul, that Paul talks about very clearly in Romans 6, Romans 7, how there's these two spirits at war with each side of them. We see that also in Galatians 5, the idea that there's two spirits. One of the flesh, or there's two uh, spirits in one of the flesh, 
They're trying to get you to sin, one that is contrary to God, contrary to what He wants in our lives, and one spirit that is of the Spirit of God, that is working inside of us to get to the godliness in us. And it's only by controlling oneself, restraining oneself, and ruling over that sin, submitting to God, like God told Cain to do in Genesis 4 7, when He said, Control. There's a sin in your life that wants to control you, that wants to rule over you, but you must rule over it. So clearly that, Paul, there's something produced by the Spirit where we're called to deny our flesh and submit to God to save The best one I can think of for this one is the idea of shackles. A lot of times when we think of self-control, we think of shackles. We think of handcuffs, something holding us back, something restraining us. Keeping us locked up, right? Keeping us from doing the things we want to do. That is not quite the biblical idea of what self-control should be. Self-control should be like train tracks, should be like railway tracks. Yes, the train is not free to go left, and it's not free to go right, it's not free to make the path of the desires, but it is free to now travel along the track and to get where it wants to go. So it is with self-control. Self-control is not a means of attention, but it is a means to allow us to pursue the pleasures provided by God. So that's kind of what I believe you see here in what is self-control. Self-control, it is the exercise of submitting to God in all of our thoughts, our words, and our actions, such that we are no longer controlled by the flesh, but we are now controlled by the Spirit. So self-control is first started by being controlled by the Spirit. Um, it also must start by being controlled by Christ. Who is our example of what does it look like to be self-controlled? What is our example of what does it mean to be controlled by the Spirit? So how do we see self-control evidence in the life of Christ? Well, kids, we start by seeing the evidence in that Christ, the Son of God, God made flesh, the one who spoke the world into existence, submitting himself to his parents, to his mom and dad, to Mary and Joseph. That was the first way that Christ exercised self-control. When he was obedient to his folks, to his parents, that God had placed in his life. We also see that in Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. Um, and I think we see that most uh, expressed here in this passage of Matthew 4, 1 to 11. So I'm actually turn there and read this. So this is the temptation of Christ, because after Christ has been baptized, and now he's going out to the desert and he's going to be tempted by the devil, by Satan. And so Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by blood alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these will I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. And he said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So how do we see 
us can show evidence in the life of Christ in this regard, we see that Christ is not mastered by his stomach. Christ is not mastered by pride or arrogance, thinking that he could test God and dictate to God how to act. We see Jesus is not mastered by seeking greed or desire to be worshipped and praised, even though in his deity he was worthy of all honor and equal with God, but in his humanity it says he submitted himself to God and did not count equality with God as being to be blessed. In all these things we see Jesus not only restraining himself, not only controlling his own desires and his humanity, his own emotions, but also submitting to God and his word and the desires that God says and God's will for his life. There's a TV show that came out a few years ago about the life of Christ. Um, and I thought it had one pretty unique uh, piece in there where it's talking about the temptations of Christ. And what they do is they show this uh, a Satan coming to tempt Jesus. And particularly they zero in on this third temptation where, where Satan says, Bow down and worship me, and I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And they put right up across each other this idea of what did God have in store for Christ and what Satan was supposedly offering Christ in this moment, in this temptation. And so you see Herod, and you see him mocking Christ, having the soldiers beat Christ. If this is what God intends for you, do you really want that? And then he goes to Satan saying, here's what I'll offer you. And if Herod serving him, if Herod washing his feet as his king, or then he goes on to Pilate, and Pilate commanding that Christ be flogged, that his back be ripped of the flesh, that he sit there and force the crown of thorns as he orders the soldiers to put the crown of thorns on Jesus' head. And then he goes to what Satan says he's offering him. And it's Pilate down, serving Christ free, serving him free. It's the Pharisees that they're all shouting, crucify him, kill him, kill the Son of God. Then it goes to what Satan's offering him, and it's all the Pharisees bowing down and worshiping. Or it's the soldier stretching him out, nailing his wrist, putting him up on the cross. This is a soldier standing at salute saying, My king, what are my orders? We see Jesus overcoming these final temptations, uh, even when it was going to be bad for him. Satan appeared to be offering him all the pleasures and comforts of his life, and Jesus knew what was before him. He knew that he was going to die if he was going to exercise his self control, if he was going to submit. God, so how did he do that? Why would he do something like that? So we see the answer in Hebrews 12, 1, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross despising the sin. Jesus knew that there was something better. He knew that there was a greater pleasure. He knew that there was a greater joy. He knew that there was something more worthwhile that to give into these lesser pleasures that Satan offered would fail in comparison to the glory of that the Lord had in store for him. He knew that if he submitted to God, that is where there was fullness of joy. That is where there was pleasure forevermore. Not just this temporary worldly pleasure that we so often seek and strive for, but pleasure for eternity. And now we see, in Philippians it says that because we submitted to God, 
he received what Satan falsely promised that he would give. Now we see Jesus as the King, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is King. Satan could not offer him that. Sin could not offer him that. It was only seen by submitting and exercising self-control and by submitting to his God by the Spirit was he able to now finally experience that true elevation. So you think about yourself, do you want to exercise this kind of control in your life? It's a control that can be costly. It's something that is going to involve you, involve you denying pleasure today. Denying these false things that sin says, uh, come to me and I will give you pleasures. Come, enjoy me, and I will give you pleasures now. Are we going to be able to exercise self-control? Do you want to exercise that self-control to be able to deny those lesser pleasures to enjoy the pleasures offered by God? Do you want to submit to God? Christ did. Christ was able to because he served with the Spirit, because he knew that there was a greater pleasure, and he actively exercised self-control to deny any of these lesser pleasures and to see the greater that was offered to him. God. So often we don't do this. So often we get caught up. We get convinced that those lesser pleasures are worth it. And so often we pick those lesser pleasures, those easy sins, and we choose to enjoy those, and we choose to partake in those instead of enjoying God. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the author of a holiday at the sea. We are too far, far too easily pleased. The idea behind this theme is that God intends all the joys and wonder of being able to go on this luxury vacation, be able to enjoy the wonders of the ocean, be able to enjoy that. And instead we're content to go sit in our backyard, spray the hose on the ground, and make mud pies. There's nothing wrong with that. I enjoyed that as a kid. But that was all that was offered at the time. But the idea behind this is that we are too easily pleased. The Lord has offered us pleasures at His right hand forevermore in eternity with Him, where He will be our God, we will be His people. And too easily we fall for those quick, instantaneous satisfactions in the moment, in the here, and in the now. We are far too easily pleased. Christ is not easily pleased. He is not easily pleased. He did not fall for temptations of the devil. He did not fall for the temptations of His own flesh. And that being controlled by the Spirit to exercise self-control that he now experiences the very pleasures of God. So that brings us to our last point here. How are we to practice self-control? And I believe there's kind of three things um, that we're called to as we're called to exercise self-control in the same way that Christ is able to exercise self-control. And the first thing, um, and those things are going to be exercise discipline, and then to be able to experience freedom. So there are three things I believe for us, if you're struggling with self-control, if you're struggling to, if you don't, if you lack seeing that fruit of self-control in your own life, this is not the easy step, but the three principles I believe is in Scripture what it means to be able to exercise self-control. And the first one being to abide in Christ. Um, so this has 
wanted to put up John 15, verses 4 through 5, which is Jesus talking to his disciples, teaching them of what their life, like what it should be like to be their disciples. And what he says is, abide in me. Okay, I'm going to look at it. I can read it. He says, Abide in me, and I am you. If the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And we're going to go to five. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Are you struggling to produce the fruit? Do you not see the fruit in your life? And my first question to you is, are you abiding in the vine? Because if you abide in me, he it is who will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You will not be able to exercise any of the fruit of the Spirit we've been talking about the last night without first abiding in Christ, abiding by His Spirit. I mentioned earlier Genesis 4. I want to talk about that again because this shows what man is capable of when we try to exercise self-control apart from the Spirit of God, apart from being able to abide in Christ. This is King. Um, as he's upset because the Lord has not accepted his sacrifice and accepted his brother David's. And the Lord says to King, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, or its desire is to rule over you, but you must rule over it. This idea that there is sin indwelling in our lives that is desiring to rule over us. It wants control. But God has issued the command, it is our responsibility to now rule over it. We see what happened when Cain tried to rule over it in his own power, not abiding in the Spirit of God. Immediately after this, it says he takes his brother out to the field and kills him. He did not able, he's not able to exercise self-control, and neither can we if we try to do it apart from Christ. So, how are we to be set free? How are we to actually be able to experience this self-control? We see this in Romans 7, and verses 21 through 25. Where it says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is only through Christ, it is only because of the work that Christ has done on the cross that Christ has came and died for our sins and that by repenting and believing in Him, we can now receive freedom from this sinful nature so we are still in the battle, like Paul talks about here, this constant struggle of the flesh inside of us wanting to rule us, and the Spirit battling on our behalf, saying, No, follow me, be controlled by me, walk with me, and you will be able to rule over the Spirit. So to rule over the Spirit of the flesh. 
Is that you this morning? Are you free? Have you repented and believed? Because apart from that, apart from Christ, you can do nothing. So I invite you, first and foremost, put yourself in Christ, repent and believe in the work that He did for you, because like this person, apart from me, you can do nothing. What a wretched man are you if you do not have Christ. So apart from Him, you can do nothing. We must receive the Spirit. What, what God says, what Christ tells His disciples, it is good for me to go, because when I go, you can now receive the Spirit. It is good for me to leave. It is good for me to die, to shed my blood, so that I can purchase for you the Spirit of God. So that I can now indwell, so that my Spirit can now indwell you. If you want to exercise self-control, the first thing is you must abide in Christ. You must have that Spirit indwelling within you. The very first week, uh, Daniel gave an illustration about what it looks like for to be controlled by the Spirit. And he chose the Spirit as the locomotive. The real thing about the the spirit of the locomotive is going to pull us along. I think that same illustration works well with my track analogy here. Of the self-control of the track to which we are trying to pursue godliness. But if you don't have the spirit, it doesn't matter if you're on the track, you're not going anywhere. We must first abide in Christ. We must first be attached to that locomotive. We must first be walking by the spirit. Being guided by the spirit. Or else you have no hope. As you abide, you're now called to exercise discipline. So first, if you must think, first thing you must do is abide. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But as you abide, there are now still commands that God makes on our lives to exercise discipline, to exercise self-control. We see this in the commands of Galatians 5, to walk, to be led by, to keep in step with. Those are all verbs of doing, that we are called to be doing something. Is not doing something in order to earn our salvation, but is doing something because we have been saved. As we have said, our, we are saved by faith alone, but our faith is never alone. There is going to be a striving that you are going to have to pursue the Spirit of God by His plan of sanctification, that God decides to use us in this process of taking us from these wretched men that we are, justifying us by the blood of Christ, and now as we get a pursuit sanctification, becoming more like Him, it is something that He allows us to partake with Him in that great work. With the other place where Paul talks about striving, training, working hard, training as an athlete, training to win, giving maximum effort, doing everything you can, having a life oriented around the thought of running your race well. The way I like to think of this is, this is one hopefully kids will appreciate, it's Spider-Man, right? Spider-Man is one of my favorite superheroes. Um, I particularly like Tom Holland in, his, in the newest Spider-Man. Uh, but I appreciate the old Tobey Maguire version because that shows um, him getting bit by the spider and then that next day he's like a superhero. His eyes start freaking out. He doesn't have to wear glasses. He gets super buffed. He has a spider sense now. He can climb walls, swing legs. All of those wonderful things. And throughout the movies, you get to watch Spider-Man as he learns how to use all of these new abilities that he's now been given because that radioactive spider did it. So it is with the Spirit of God. It feels weird saying that, but it's kind of true. Without the Spirit, the Spirit first is to indwell in us. And that now opens up the possibility that you have these powers, you have these fruit of the Spirit 
that you now get to exercise and maturity. Without the Spirit, you, you're never going to be able to do any of that. Without Spider-Man getting bit by the spider, he can't climb walls. Without the, without the Spirit, you cannot love. You cannot be patient. You cannot be at peace. You cannot exercise self-control. So, so it is that with that, as the Spirit has bitten us, we now have the ability to exercise these things. Now we have a responsibility and call and a joy to get to grow and mature as we use these gifts that have been purchased to us by the Spirit. And as we exercise that discipline, we now get to experience God's freedom. In Galatians 5, it says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. This is a reference to the freedom from the law of works, freedom from sin, freedom from the domain of darkness. Those who are in Christ are free. But you are not free to continue to live that freedom for yourself. You are not free to continue to fall into sin. You are not free to continue to, to, continue to pursue the passions of your children, the passions of our sinful nature. In Romans 6, 20 to 23, we see, So when you are slaves to sin, you are free in regard to righteousness. So saying, when you are slaves to sin, you are free in that you couldn't pursue righteousness. You are free of righteousness. You had no obligation to pursue righteousness, and you had no ability to pursue righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You were free. You were free to die. That was a freedom that was offered to us by sin. It's a freedom to die. Under judgment and condemned by God. However, because of what Christ has done, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it ends eternal life. So the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the freedom to which we have been purchased. That's the freedom that we get to experience each and every day as a believer. And that is the ultimate freedom that we are producing, that we are working with God and being able to experience more and more each and every day as we grow in self-control. We are now free as an oxymoron may go. You are free now to be a slave to God. You are now free to be a slave to righteousness. So what does it look like to practice self-control and to experience God's freedom? Well, it's going to involve developing disciplines. It's going to involve taking steps to bring mastery over yourself, to control yourself. But it's not to control yourself for yourself. It's to be able to control yourself, to be able to submit now to God and what He desires for your life. And one book that I just recommend is Don Whitney's Disciplines of Christian Life. It's something that's helpful for me that walks through a lot of the spiritual disciplines and showing you here's how you can grow in those things. Here's some practical steps to help you grow. Why is it important that you have these things? How do they help produce godliness in your life? But it's also this discipline in our everyday life. It's not just the spiritual disciplines, it's all disciplines. It's all just our whole selves to God. It is training every morning to get up, to pray, to read your word. By doing that, you now have the freedom to get to experience God and have a greater relationship with Him. It is the training, uh, this is one for me, the training of diet and exercise. It's how to control what you eat, how you exercise. 
because that gives you now the freedom to serve God with your body, to not be riddled with disease. It's freedom, it's the training to turn off your phone, to turn off social media, or to restrict yourself on social media, which will give you then the freedom to actually be able to minister to the people in your spirit of influence, to the people you actually know, who actually know you, who you can encourage and be encouraged by. It's the freedom or the training kit that you need to do to obey your parents, and then you get to receive the freedom then of the blessing of God, because obey your parents is the only commitment that comes with a promise. So it, it is very good to obey your parents. This is how we can practically walk forward today, how we must first always remember that you have to come back to the gospel. Unlike Spider-Man, the gospel is not that one-time bug bite that if that's all we need to keep our promise forever. It's all you need to save you. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But in order to continue to exercise the fruit of the Spirit, in order to continue to exercise the power, we must be returning daily to the gospel, to the reality that there is a God who is holy and perfect and has made the world, to this idea that we as men have messed up this world, we have rebelled against that God, and by the blood of Christ, who redeemed for us a position, and by responding to Him, by repenting and believing, we can now have faith. Each and every day we should be meditating on those realities that we serve a holy God, that we deserve punishment, that we've been extended mercy. That's how you continue to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. That's how you continue to experience the freedom that God, through Christ, has purchased for us. So as we conclude, just have some questions. Um, as we think about what is self-control, and remember, it's this ability, self-control is the ability that we have now to submit to God and be able to experience His freedom. So how are you doing with the first part of self-control? How are you doing in abiding in the body? What does your time in prayer look like? What does your time in the Word look like? Are you able to walk in step with the Spirit? Do you even know what the Spirit desires for your life? If you aren't getting into these things, you're going to have a very hard time to understand what does it even mean to walk in step with the Spirit. What are some areas in your life that you need to grow in self-control? Is it as your family life? Is it as a spouse? As a father? As a mother? Children? Is it as children being able to faithfully um, serve and love your classmates? Being able to serve and love your family, your siblings, your parents? Is it as an employee? How do you need to grow in self-control in any of those areas? And then here's one of my favorite parts. Is going to Galatians 6, you see um, Paul giving this charge. After you listen to the Holy Spirit, he gives this charge to bear one another's burdens. Church, it is not something that you have to do alone. You do not have to exercise these disciplines. You do not have to be growing and doing the fruit of the Spirit by yourself. But God has set up this church body to help one another. Are you struggling with one of these things? Are you struggling with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, sentiment, faith, and self-control? Are you struggling with that? Seek help. Die, kill the pride in your life and ask someone for help. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have these people who can speak gospel truth into your life who can help bury that, bear that burden for you. Don't try to do this by yourself. Use the community that we have here because that's what God intended it to be for. Likewise, if there's someone in your life that's in your community that's more struggling in these areas, die to self and help bear their burden. That means you are going to have to bear something. 
it is going to be challenging. There are going to be times that it's one side that may be something as simple as a test, another side that may be late night staying up with a friend, helping them through some crisis or struggle. Be willing to do those things for one another, to love one another. Lord, as we wrap up just the fruit of the Spirit in general, is there any fruit that you've been challenged by? Is there anything that you've enjoyed just, just learning about as it's been expositive up there? Have you seen growth? I hope you've seen growth in the past nine weeks of some of these different fruit of the Spirit as we learned about what they are. Um, how is the evidence in the life of Christ? And then how can you continue to grow in those things? What do you need to continue working on in the coming weeks? Is it self-control? Maybe you're still working on love. I know I'm kind of in that boat where that first love one was, oh, there's a lot here. But let's continue to grow. Even though the series is over, it doesn't mean we need to stop forward and the spirit. Then who is around you that you need to share some of these ideas with, these things with? Is it a co-worker that's struggling with patience? Is it someone who's struggling with showing kindness? Is it someone who just seems to be at war with the world right now in a political climate that needs to know that this is God? This is what happens in the city. Who is someone in your spheres of influence that you need to share some of these realities with? But above all, I hope that you remember that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. First, you must abide in the vine. You must walk by the Spirit. And as you do so, you can continue to grow continue to mature in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for self-control. Christ, we thank you that you have evidenced it so well in your own life, and though you were God, and though you had every right to be worshipped and served serve here on earth as you deserve, you didn't do that, Lord. You came, you died, died for our sake. Lord, we just thank you so much for that. We thank you for this message on self-control. Pray that you use it in our lives. And that we may continue to grow in all the fruit of the Spirit. As we walk by the Spirit, as we ride by the Spirit, and take a step of the Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.